Last week, Timothy got us started on a series on the fruit of the Spirit. A few months ago, when Daniel invited me to preach uh, for our beautiful church, he gave me first pick. I could have any fruit of the Spirit that I wanted. And so I chose kindness. Now, I can neither confirm nor deny that a certain potential 13-year-old in my life said, Dad, I think you picked the boring one. Now, she's on to something. The moment I mentioned I was about to preach on kindness, most of us emotionally checked out of the sermon. But I found this exploration on this topic absolutely terrifying. You see, the topic of kindness is a neglected one. It's the underappreciated fruit of the spirit, but it's the actual key to how people change. And sadly, our pursuit of a cultural counterfeit has hamstrung our ability to see the gospel change lives starting with us. So with that ominous introduction, let me read the passages we'll be looking at this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? If you would, please pray with me. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for these passages, for the fruit of the spirit, for all the amazing things you are doing through us and in us by your spirit. But we pray as we spend a few moments in these passages, we pray that you would help us to see Jesus, that you'd powerfully work amongst us, that you would teach us, that you would mold us into the very image of Jesus. And Lord, that you would stir us and situate us and help us to hide ourselves in him. And we pray this in your blessed name. Amen. Bless your heart. It might be an expression in the South to convey empathy or concern. It can be a verbal hug or a virtual pat on the back, but it's typically an insult or a dig in the South, yet it's covered in sweetness. I remember the first time I was old enough to understand the difference. It seemed nice, but I walked away from that comment feeling so bad about myself. I was 17. I was from a very devout Hindu family. I had recently discovered Jesus through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Young Life, And I was really nervous about attending a worship service for the first time. But my preppy young life leader from Chapel Hill drug me to a brand new Presbyterian church that was meeting in a middle school gym. And I was woefully underdressed. I honestly couldn't help it. But that reality was made to me very, very clear. I think I heard bless his heart three times. The place that's supposed to be the apex of God's grace on earth was really a letdown. Kindness is what we do in the South. But friends, what we do isn't biblical kindness. We know how to shoot out nice words with a smile, but not really mean them. We know how to wear our social etiquette and have our yes sirs and no ma'ams and hide a posture of judgment or disconnection. We know how to ease in and out of hard conversations and situations, not just to keep the peace, but to protect ourselves. 
we know how to absolutely deconstruct or eviscerate someone in a socially acceptable way with a smile, with joy, and not even think about it. Friends, if we can do what we think is kindness without the power of the Holy Spirit, then it's definitely not kindness. In many ways, this exploration of kindness is a reality check for all of us. Our hearts, that deepest part of us, the seat of our will, our emotions, our affections, our mind, often does not match the carefully constructed facade on our face. And that's actually more than a kindness problem. So briefly this morning, we're going to do a couple of things. We're going to define the word kindness. We're going to frame how it's used biblically, at least some concept around how it's used biblically. We're going to situate in the cultural moment that we live in. We're going to talk about how it's fundamental to our Christian life, and then we'll end with a little bit of application. So first things first, let's try to define kindness. It's really hard. It's almost downright impossible. And when we attempt to define it, we start sounding like a middle school jock. It's like, uh, you know, um, it's kind of like being nice and gracious and stuff. Do you want to know why you have no idea how to define the word kindness? It's the most underdeveloped theme by the Church of Jesus Christ. Very little is written about it. Our scholars don't have a clue what to do with this word. But then again, look at who's writing most of our commentaries. It's even hard to find a pastor willing to define it. I found two. But let me take a stab. Kindness is a gracious action in the power of the Holy Spirit from a generous heart in response to anything from an uncomfortable difference to an upsetting rejection that anticipates the future work of God. Let me break that down for us. A gracious action. Kindness is love in action. It's mercy personified. It's a choice to engage and not avoid conflict in the power of the Holy Spirit. These are actions and a heart disposition that require the grace of God from a generous heart. You're choosing to lean in, not lean away. You're choosing to be charitable. You're choosing to understand. You're choosing to be empathetic and move towards a person in response to anything from uncomfortable difference to an upsetting rejection. Friends, one of the things I love about Christ Central Church is it's a multicultural church, at least it's attempting to be one. And so we live in a target-rich environment for making each other uncomfortable, which makes it a target-rich environment for extending kindness. So the reality is no matter what church you're in, you have real differences. Now, if you don't see the differences, you may be in the majority culture and you're choosing not to, Yet, with our real differences, we unintentionally insult and reject each other quite often. In kindness, it's all fair game. It's all an opportunity to deal with our hearts, and it's an opportunity to watch God work, which leads us to the last aspect of the definition that anticipates the future work of God. Because of the Holy Spirit, we get to exercise faith. We hope, we believe in the power of the gospel to change lives through our broken and imperfect overtures. There we did it, we defined the word. It's a little overwhelming, but don't worry, it gets worse. As we think about this word kindness, how does the Bible use it? Well, there's a lot we could say, but I'm gonna go hit three verses, hit three aspects of kindness. We wear it, we love it, and we are it. So we wear kindness, Colossians chapter three, verse 12. But on then, but on, as God put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, 
meekness, and the verse goes on and on and on. Put on kindness. Because we're holy, because we're beloved, because Jesus has purchased us and made us his own, and he's wrapped his arms around us, our response to him out of love is to wear kindness, meaning kindness is to be that shirt that describes us, describes us. We're called to embrace this proactive posture, meaning differences and digs in the gospel. Now think about that for a second. Think about Jesus and his life that we can study in the gospels. Every dig that came from every Pharisee, every difference that came from literally every human being that he met. Look at the kindness he exhibited, that beautiful heart posture as he moved towards people, those gracious actions he engages and he responds and sometimes with amazing tenacity and flair. Now, contrast with us, is your ambition to be described by kindness. We're not only to wear kindness, we're to love kindness. Micah 6, 8. He's told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Love it? Oh, dear. One of the things I love about being Christ Central Church is we understand that the heart is this beautiful, complex thing, and it's a very disordered heart, and we have disordered affections, meaning our heart goes to places it never should go, and one of the places it goes is ourselves, and we love to cherish ourselves. But one of the things we're invited to do in this passage is to actually love, cherish kindness. There's connotations to this word in the Old Testament's how it's used. It, it refers to dogged loyalty, unwavering commitment, unwarranted benevolence to each other. Now, again, think about Jesus. Have you seen anyone more doggedly loyal to his people than Jesus? His unwavering commitment to rescue us, to redeem us, to make us beautiful, to make us breathtaking for his heavenly father. That commitment was so strong. He was so loyal that it led to his death on the cross. We absorb wrath on, from God on our part. And think about his unwarranted benevolence for us. Even on the other side of us having saving faith where Jesus comes in and invades our life and begins to transform us and the spirit takes up residence in us. Think about how often we reject him. Think about how often we throw insults and digs at him. Yet his benevolence, there's no end to it. You see, in kindness, there's an invitation to have his heart, to love his passions. It's an invitation to deal with our own hearts. And it's an invitation to allow him to reform my heart, your heart, everyone's heart through relationships, through kindness. So we're to wear kindness. We're to love kindness. And finally, we're supposed to be kind. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. To me, this one's a little bit over the top. Paul is asking for total character formation, Ra radical spiritual transformation. He's saying, friends, emulate your king and savior. Be kind as he is kind. And isn't this the essence of discipleship? It's terrifying. Jesus is the master and we're the students. Our job is to join the Holy Spirit and he's on a mission to take us over from the inside out and have us reflect the beauty and the essence of Jesus. 
And so we're called to not just wear it and have it be described by it. We're not called just to love it and have our affections changed as we love the things that Jesus loves, but we're actually called to be it. Now that we've defined the word and we're overwhelmed by how the Bible uses the word, let's just spend a few moments connecting it to the cultural moment that we live in. We are living through one of the most weird pandemics, one of those most weird situations that any of us have ever experienced in our life. The scary thing about this pandemic is it's been completely politicized. And so there's lockdowns, there's masks, there's all sorts of rules and regulations. And it doesn't matter where you're blue or red or where you fall in the continuum. We watch the news, we read papers, we interact with people and we have these conclusions. You're uninformed, you're biased. You're an idiot. I don't like your opinion. But many of those thoughts just kind of stay in here. So what are you going to do? Regardless of where you fall on all those issues related to masks and the lockdown and the potential impact on the economy, our God calls us to kindness, to move towards each other with gracious actions, to have a posture and a heart of empathy and generosity and grace, to believe the gospel for one another. And no matter what the difference is or the potential digs in the conversation, we lean in and we choose to be charitable. In the midst of this pandemic, another big movement or idea happened, and it's also been ridiculously politicized. It's the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm not talking about the organization. I'm talking about the idea that has erupted over the last three or four weeks. Do black lives matter? Of course they do. Does institutional racism exist? You bet. Is corporate sin a biblical reality? Absolutely. Do most of us have racists in our family? Sure. Now, that might be weird for me as a brown guy to say that, but it totally is. Uh, I'm married to a beautiful white redhead. It's about yay tall. And she's from a family that's from the South. Is there a racist in her family? Absolutely. But I'm from a, a, a Bengali family in India. And you may not know this, but racism is a huge issue in India. See, friends, things are not as they should be for all of us, but things are definitely not the way they should be for our black friends. There's simplicity and complexity to the subject, and it's so overwhelming. So what are you going to do? Are you going to exhibit kindness? Are you going to move towards those who are different from you with grace, with a posture of empathy and understanding? And are you going to meet with them and discover what those real differences are and extend the gospel to one another, hoping, believing God can do things through those conversations? See, if you're going to wear kindness, if you're going to love kindness, then you can no longer play it safe. You can't label any topic as just politics and not engage. You see, the gospel forces you into dangerous waters because Jesus walked in dangerous waters. The gospel forces you to radically love people different from you. The scary thing about the concept of kindness is it confronts our American individualism. See, somewhere along the way, we're just like, hey, no one can tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want. And the reality is the gospel has nothing to do with that idea. And us Americans, our individualism, as rugged as it is, keeps rubbing against the scriptures. And we're starting to realize maybe that's not the way I'm supposed to operate in this world. 
Well, the beautiful thing about kindness is as you start having all these weird conversations, as you start leaning into differences and digs, you start beginning to realize I'm actually kind of wrong on some of these things. Maybe I have so much more to learn. You see, kindness is how transformation starts and our humanity becomes more fuel and beautiful. Now that we've defined the word, now that we framed out a little bit of how it's used biblically and how we connected to this cultural moment, let's think about how it's fundamental to our Christian lives. In the most simplest terms, kindness is how people change. Look at Romans 2, 4 with me. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Kindness is how you change. Kindness is what's led to our conversion. Think about it. We didn't run to Jesus because he's true. We didn't even run to Jesus because he's beautiful. We ran to Jesus because we first, our eyes began to see the tumultuous nature of our hearts, our sin, our evil, our rejection of God. But what we saw was his grace, his kindness how he lived a perfect life for us, how he died on the cross to absorb our sin, how his grace is free and unending and his love is perfect and it won us over. And as we tasted his kindness, we gave ourselves to him and turned from anything we could think of turning from. But that's not just true of our conversion. Every time we see the love, I mean, we really see the love of Jesus. It leads to repentance in our life. Hey, when God is distant, when he's like omnipotent and powerful and holy, we can, we can feel a distance from him. When he's theological, it doesn't lead to repentance. But oh, when we see the beauty of his love, when we see our nurturing father, our Jesus, who's our high priest, who covers us, who invites us to his throne of grace, when we see and taste how beautiful and wonderful his love is, what do we do? We repent. We try to throw off anything that's hindering us. We try to confess any sin that we see because we want to be close to that God who loves us and enjoy us. Now, that's not only true of our vertical relationship with God, it's true of our horizontal relationships with each other. It's the kindness of God in our lives that radically changes us. Two quick examples of this. So I came to Christ towards the end of my junior year. And then, you know, I was like most radical conversions, full of zeal, full of arrogance, really big head, really big passion for Jesus. But I didn't had no wisdom and idea what I was doing in my Christian life. When I got to college, I made so many bad decisions. I dated a couple girls, beautiful, wonderful Christian girls, but I should have never dated them. I got involved in all these different Christian ministries. I tried to get real theological. I tried to get really service oriented. There's all these bad decisions I was making. And one of the things I did is I volunteered to be a middle school ministry person at the uh, church I was at. And there I discovered a guy named Jonathan Inman. Jonathan was such a good friend. He was the college pastor at that time. He took me under his wing. And Jonathan watched me make a mess of my Christian life, live in arrogance, live in my theology, try to make a name for myself. And all he did the three years we were together was kill me with kindness. Every time I made a mistake, preaching a sermon or doing a Bible study, just making up stuff, he never buried me. Every time I expected the hammer, it was always a feather of grace and kindness. He loved me so well with kindness, it undid me. 
towards the middle part of my junior year, I just broke down. I fell apart. I realized I didn't understand the grace of God. And it's there he taught me about how I live in the grace of God and erratically changed my life. For all the wonderful learning I did at the church I was at, it was the kindness of another human being that helped me to experience the grace of God, which made all the sense of the world for me of the gospel. Another person. Uh, I've been married to my wife for almost 24 years. We've been an item, I guess, for over 26 years. But her dogged loyalty to me, her amazing kindness to me has been probably the biggest instrument of my change, period, bar none. Uh, I'm your typical ministry guy. I've been so married to my work. Even early on when I started a church in Chapel Hill, my wife used to call the church the mistress. And like I know that, that might be a little over the top, but it really wasn't. She's been so kind to me to help me to realize how I've been so committed to so many things apart from Jesus and sometimes her. But her kindness to me, her patience with me, her forbearance, her desire for me to experience the grace of God and Jesus and be situated that and not some role I play in the local church was so magnificent and beautiful for me. One of the reasons I understand the gospel as well as I do is because I've had a wife who's exhibited kindness to me. And as I've experienced that kindness, it's helped me to understand the kindness that I have in Christ. Now that we've seen how fundamental kindness is to our Christian life, let's just spend a few moments thinking through as we conclude, how do we grow in this kindness? Well, first and foremost, we need to be honest. We need to recalibrate. We need to look at the dashboard of our life. We need to look at the fruit of the spirit. We need to namely look at kindness and ask ourselves, am I kind? One of the things I've discovered when doing this sermon prep is I may be nice, I may be a great guy, but I'm not kind. I'm actually realizing probably for the first time, I'm actually hurting some relationships that are so important to me because I'm not kind. And I'm feeling the weight of that. But I have a feeling I'm not alone on this topic. There's probably a lot of us right now going, I'm not kind. Now, there's some of us, this is just a challenging exercise to be that honest, to be able to admit in God's grace our, where our foibles and where we fall short. And if this is a challenge for you to deal with your heart and look at your heart and maybe even say something like, I'm not kind, uh, there's no substitute for biblical friendship. And Christ Central can be that place where you discover those friends who can help you in that journey. So first and foremost, be honest. Secondly, follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Walk with me on this. In Galatians, that passage we read where it described the fruit of the Spirit, at the beginning of the paragraph, it says walk by the Spirit. At the end of that same paragraph, it says let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, Paul assumes that as the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life, the Spirit is convicting you, teaching you, guiding you, showing you what to do. Meaning you should be able to be sensitive to the Spirit's leadership in your life and be able to walk in step with whatever he's doing. Meaning you should understand what he's doing and be able to be right in tow with it. In that same paragraph, there's this cosmic war that's described there. There's three players. Paul says, first of all, there's the Holy Spirit, you know, that person of the Trinity is taking up residence in you that's conforming to the image of Christ. There's the desires of the flesh, even though you're a new man, a new creation, one by Jesus, you still have a part of you that rebels against Jesus. And then there's you, spirit, desires of the flesh, and you. 
And so the passage says is the spirit and the desires of flesh are working against one another. Tons of conflict. And then you have to decide what you're going to do. What is God doing right now inside of you? Where is he specifically calling you to kindness? Are you aware of how the Holy Spirit is deeply working in with you and changing you from the inside out? What's hard about this entire chapter, much less the fruit of the Spirit, is God is calling us to cultivate our inner spiritual life. And if we can't answer questions like, how is God specifically calling you to kindness? And how is he leading you? And how are you supposed to keep in step with the spirit? It means you're really disconnected from God right now. As I've been on my own journey of trying to figure out how to be healthier in my walk with Jesus and trying to cultivate that inner spiritual life and actually be able to hear and understand what the Holy Spirit's doing in my life, I take prayer walks. At least two, three times a week, I'm gone for about an hour and a half, walking, 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 until the noise goes down, until I can sense what the Spirit is doing. Friends, it's not enough just to be honest about where we are with kindness. In spiritual community, in those cultivations, those those, uh, disciplines to increase your spiritual life, are you following the leadership of the Holy Spirit? And finally, It's rediscovering the kindness of God in Christ. Look again at Jesus and look at his kindness for you. He right now is on his throne of grace over the world, over the universe. And you know what he's doing in that? He's praying for us. Colossians 3 talks about how we're hidden in Jesus on his throne of grace. Right now, Jesus is singing over us and delighting us as the bridegroom over us. He's absolutely enjoying us, defending us, protecting us. Jesus is kindness, and his kindness is is showered upon us each and every moment. But Jesus loves kindness. He's unwaveringly committed to you. Before the very foundations of the earth, your father in heaven knew he was going to win you and rescue from sin and death. He sent his son to live on earth. And Jesus, from the moment he was born, was committed to one mission, which was to rescue you. He walked to that cross and on that cross, he absorbed all the consequences of your sin and he gave you his righteousness. Jesus loves kindness. But Jesus wore kindness on earth. What did he do but exhibit beauty and kindness to everyone he came across? And that kindness, that aroma, that beauty is what Jesus has now dressed you in. He has taken his robes of righteousness and he's placed them on you. When the Father sees you, he just smells the aroma of Jesus and he throws his arms around you and he can't get enough of you. Friends, To the degree you see this, taste this, enjoy this, walk in this, hide this, rediscover this in a fresh way, to the degree you will have power yourself to wear kindness, to love kindness, and to be kind, and ultimately be an imperfect beacon of his kindness, whereby Jesus changes the world. If you would, please pray with me. Father in heaven, we are so grateful. We are so grateful for all the kindness we have in Christ. We can't begin to even fathom the depths of his kindness for us. But Lord, I pray that for me and all my friends, that you would help us to see the kindness we have in Jesus. 
that you would help us to walk in step with what the Spirit's doing in that aspect in our lives and that you would do a new work in us and literally change us and everyone around us at the same time. Pray this in your beautiful name, Lord Jesus. Amen.